0: When you go to an Asheville City Soccer Club game, you're not just watching soccer. You're welcomed into what players and fans call the South Slope Blues.
1: The South Slope
0: Blues, they're amazing. This is the coach of the women's team, Brooke Bingham.
1: The atmosphere is what makes Asheville City Soccer so great.
0: Longtime player, Laura Greb.
1: We have the most dedicated fans. We have our South Slope Blues. They post up in the corner of the field. Every game, they've got their drums, they've got their smoke, they've got their loud voices. You can hear them for miles.
0: Elite men and women players from throughout North Carolina team up in Asheville for a two-month season against other aspiring pros from all over the Southeast. Home games this season begin May 18th at Greenwood Field on the UNC Asheville campus. For details, tickets, and your first steps into the South Slope Blues, visit Asheville City Soccer Club at AshevilleCitySC.com. It doesn't seem all that long ago that to place a legal bet in this country, you had to be in Las Vegas or Atlantic City. Today, regulated online betting puts gambling at anyone's fingertips. North Carolina legislators recently legalized sports betting in the state, and that could funnel hundreds of thousands of dollars in revenue each year to the athletics programs of UNC Asheville and Western Carolina and Appalachian State Universities.
1: We've seen it with alcohol, where we had dry counties around here as recently as like the 70s and 80s. And now every little town in North Carolina has five breweries. There, there's certainly been a change generationally in attitudes towards what we traditionally would have called vice, I think. Obviously, one of the big criticisms people have is that sports gambling can be very addictive, particularly for young men who get themselves into financial difficulties, let's say. So one of the, one of the things they did is, say, OK, we're going to use part of this revenue to address addiction. I'm Matt Pykin, and this is The Overlook, a podcast about the news,
0: arts, issues, and trends of Asheville, North Carolina. My guest today is Justin McGuire, a reporter with Mountain Express, who has covered this development. We talk about the forces that led to legalization and how concerns about gambling addiction shaped it. We also talk about the broader cultural tipping point of legalized gambling in this country and what this might forecast about the development of more casinos in North Carolina. I began my conversation with Justin McGuire by asking about the roots of his interest in sports betting and gambling in North Carolina at large.
1: The obvious answer is that it just became legal in North Carolina after several years of going through both the House and the Senate. The House passed the bill And it looked extremely likely that the Senate was going to pass the bill as well. So when that was going on a few months back, I decided just to look into it a little bit. While in the course of doing my reporting, it did pass the state Senate and it was signed into law by the governor. So by the time the story actually appeared, it was legal, but we knew it was going in that direction. And so that was the main thing that got me interested, knowing that this was coming.
0: Was this a long lead up to this? Was this something that the legislature for many years had been considering or was it relatively recent?
1: It had come up in previous sessions, uh, and uh, forgive me, I don't remember the exact dates of all of this, but I know it had passed the House in the past – in a a slightly different version. I mean, the Senate had come close to passing it, I think, and it hadn't quite got through. There's a lot of back and forth between the two houses over the last few years, but I think it got to a point where it became inevitable earlier this year.
0: What was the impetus? No, No legislation happens without some constituency wanting something to happen. Who wanted this to
1: happen and why? I think that there's a lot of background here, but the main reason that people wanted this to happen is because there was a feeling that North Carolina was losing revenue to other states that had legalized sports betting, which many of them have, including Tennessee, including Virginia and places nearby. There was a feeling – and this was a bipartisan effort, I should point out. There were Republicans and Democrats who supported it. There was a feeling that North Carolina was leaving a lot of money on the table by allowing people to bet in other states but not here – And also bet illegally, essentially, which is what a lot of people do. They use these VPNs to do offshore betting and that sort of thing. Because, say, your cell phone, it has a North Carolina address you couldn't previously bet using those betting apps. But there's ways of getting around that, which people would do.
0: I was wondering about that because on the surface of it with apps and it it, it, almost as if we're
1: boundaryless. I thought that people could bet anywhere. Yeah. And I think that was kind of the reason this is happening is that people realized it's happening anyway. So why not get in on it and put that 18% tax rate on the uh, people who do the, the apps and that sort of thing?
0: So what does this legislation that passed, what does it actually do? What's the letter? What is now open up to North Carolina residents
1: there's going to be there's going to be legal betting apps by the beginning of June of next year, the State Lottery Commission is supposed to have all the details in place. From what I've heard, it'll probably be before that. They have until June to get all this in place. But under the law, up to 12 betting apps can be licensed to operate in North Carolina. So that's going to be things like FanDuel's, Bally's, any of the big betting apps that people are familiar with. I honestly don't know if there'll be all 12 of those spots used, but there can be up to 12.
0: So it's already existing behemoths of the betting world who will be be licensed to operate apps right that's it's, part of it yeah. it's not as if north carolina entrepreneurs now have an opportunity to get in
1: on this there are going to be physical sports books as well that uh, they're, they're allowed and i forget the exact number but they are allowed around professional sports places so for instance where the panthers play in charlotte where the hornets play charlotte motor speedway there's a couple of golf courses one in greensboro one in charlotte Places like that are going to have the ability to create sports books, either on site or nearby. Now, what
0: so, is it? Explain for people what a sports book is. You, it's a physical facility. Exactly,
1: it's a physical place where you can go and place a bet.
0: Are those becoming antiquated in a sense now that pe- everything's online and people have things at, at their fingertips? Who's going to a sports book anymore?
1: Be, the, the idea is that they're going to be because they're going to be near. The existing places, so people who are going to a Panthers game, for instance, might go in and place a bet for the game. They might, hang, people might go hang out there and watch a whole day of NFL games. If you ever see like a book in Vegas, that's a lot of what it is. It's huge TVs all over the place. People go in, they, they sit down. So it's they, like a
0: sports bar environment, except you can also <laughs> bet on the I think
1: it can be. Again, I don't know exactly what these ones in North Carolina will look like. And I suspect, again, some of like the ones with the Panthers, the Hornets, might be more, might be bigger, might operate more days a year than some of the other ones around the smaller places. I, I think all those details have to be worked out. Can
0: you, can you envision that there would be a sports book that would open up around McCormick Field with the Asheville tourists? Well, under
1: the way the law is written, there are, I think there's eight places in the state that have the permission to do it, and none of them are west of Charlotte.
0: Okay, so now why are they limiting it to 12 apps and eight physical places? Are these arbitrary numbers? Were these to satisfy critics or people who are concerned with gambling? What was the reason behind that?
1: I honestly don't know if I could say the exact reason for it. In terms of the apps, there's only a limited number of apps that actually do this. So 12 actually is probably fairly high. (laughs) And I think they basically wanted to have the sports books around places that have high-end professional sports. In other words single A baseball wasn't going to get it done. But if you have the NFL, you have the NBA, you've got PGA golf, you've got NASCAR, hockey in Raleigh, the major league sports, that's really where they wanted to have it. And so there's a limited number of those kind of places in the state. And there's certainly none in this part of the state.
0: You mentioned the tax benefit, So you said North Carolina, the impetus behind, behind this was that we were leaving money on the table, that right. there was money being spent. And why should North Carolina benefit from this? Talk about Who benefits financially, and what will those benefits be, or what are they projected to be by opening up sports betting to North Carolina residents?
1: About half of that money will just go to the state's general fund, so it can be used for whatever the legislature wants to use it for. The rest of it will be divided in very specific areas. There's going to be money that will go to youth sports programs throughout the state. And again, the the exact details of that will need to be worked out. But I suspect we will have some youth programs here in Buncombe County and elsewhere in western North Carolina that will benefit from that. Some of it goes to the state's gambling addiction services, because that's part (laughs) of the irony of this. That's (laughs) part of the way they appease the critics, because obviously one of the big criticisms people have is that sports gambling can be very addictive, particularly for young men. It tends to be young 20-something men, late teens – who get themselves into financial difficulties, let's say, and so one of the one of the things they did is say, okay, we're going to use part of this revenue to address addiction. So that'll be part of it. There's some of it that goes to like the, the North Carolina like outdoor fund, that sort of thing.
0: I noticed you also had university athletic
1: programs, yeah, and this is
0: where the money, at least in Asheville, that UNC Asheville right. athletics would see some of this. That's
1: money. a big one that they needed to do. I think to pass this to, is to show people that universities throughout the state are going to benefit from this athletic departments specifically 13 of the 15 state schools will get money from this annually for their athletic departments the only ones that aren't are going to be unc chapel hill and nc state which are in the acc and therefore get a lot of tv money
0: one of the things you you mentioned in your story which i thought really interesting that of all division one schools athletic programs and how much money comes in how much revenue unc asheville is like very close to the bottom of of all division one schools they are
1: part of that is they don't have football. That's that's a, big, it's a huge part of that. If you don't have a football program, your budget's just not going to be one of the bigger ones.
0: Whereas Western Carolina, that which does have football, they weren't a whole lot higher.
1: But they were twice as much, They were, but they're still pretty low. Yeah. So yeah, both. But Western Carolina and UNC Asheville are the two in this area that will benefit. Appalachian State will as well, if you consider that in this area. It's yeah. not in our coverage area, so I didn't write about it. But each of schools will get, they're estimating about $300,000 a year, although it may be more, than that, depending on how much comes in.
0: $300,000 isn't chump change, but is that going to be a difference maker with these programs in any way? Yeah,
1: I talked to both athletic programs at both schools, Western Carolina and UNC Asheville, and they both said they're glad to have the money, they'll take it, it's going to help, but none of them are going to be able to create new programs or build new facilities or whatever. It's basically going to help them keep up with the expenses they already have, which tend to be fairly large for smaller programs like that, which don't have tons of TV revenue. They have a lot of things they need to pay for, scholarships. They need to pay athletic department salaries, which are state salaries, so they're on the state schedule in terms of raises and all that sort of thing. So they've got a lot of expenses already, and so a lot of it's going to be going into things that they're already paying for. I thought that was
0: interesting, too, that – Your story talked about how Nothing new is going to be created by these funds, that these programs are already in debt or committed to a certain level of spending, and that this just helps them fulfill that level, that they didn't have the budget beforehand. So all these programs are operating in a sort of
1: deficit. I'm not sure if deficit would be the right word. But again, TV money is a big factor for the big football programs, the big men's basketball programs, particularly to some degree, women's basketball as well a little bit in baseball with the ESPN money, but for the most part, any sport that's outside of those sports is not going to get much in the way of TV money, particularly if you're not in a big conference. So the schools like UNC Asheville and Western Carolina have to make do with ticket sales, with what they call guarantee games, which is, in other words, if UNC Asheville goes to play in Chapel Hill, the Tar Heels will guarantee them a certain amount of money to come play them. That they're going to get a certain amount of money to go that, to that game, and the, a lot of smaller programs like that have to do a lot of that sort of thing in basketball and football to get money. So yeah, they're operating on smaller budgets, and their revenue sources are not as predictable or as they're not as large as the schools in the big conferences.
0: More after this. It's spring and you wanna hike bike, hit up the farmer's market, but the last thing you want to do on a warm, sunny morning is clean house. That's where Greenland Pro Cleaning comes in. They're eco-friendly, allergy-friendly, and locally owned in Asheville. Listeners of The Overlook get a free upholstery and refrigerator cleaning upgrade with their first booking. Just use the code PODCAST at checkout. Make the most of your time this spring and visit GreenlandProCleaning.com overlook. Thank you. Imagine, you're a classical music composer about to premiere your final symphony. Behind the scenes, your family and a stranger are about to throw everything into disarray. Welcome to A God in the Waters, the latest play by the venerable Asheville writer David Brendan Hopes. Look for a lot of laughs, but also a deeper reflection on the making of art and its impact on the people closest to the genius at work. The Sublime Theater presents A God in the Waters May 9th through 18th at the BB Theater in downtown Asheville. For tickets and details, go to thesublimetheater.org. One of the things you talked about, which I thought was a really great angle here, was that while sports betting will be legalized, part of the fallout of this is making sure that college students and particularly athletes are not betting. Talk about that a little more about yeah. what the concern is there. When
1: I talk to the athletic people of the people in the athletic departments at the two schools, you know, NCA and WCU, um, that's one thing they both brought up is that teaching the student athletes particularly because that's what their concern is. They don't not to say they don't care about the non-athletes, but that they don't come under their purview. It's against the regulations for any athlete in Division One or Division Two or Division Three, any NCAA athlete, to bet on sports regardless of whether that's a sport that, that, that is an NCAA sport or not. They, so they can't bet on the NBA, they can't bet on NFL, they can't bet on MLB, they can't bet on horse racing. It's all part of the, re, the NCAA regulations, and that's not going to change. The state law doesn't change that. So one of the concerns all these places have is let's make sure they understand that even though your friends who aren't athletes maybe get, got that app out and they're betting on everything on an NFL Sunday, you still can't do that. And if you do, you're going to get in trouble and you're going to lose your scholarship and all that stuff. And there's been a few kind of semi-scandals already. Alabama baseball coach had to resign. There was something at, it was Iowa and Iowa State athletes got in trouble for some betting things. So that's a big concern for these athletic departments is making sure they are educating their student athletes on what the rules are, what they can do, what they can't do. And they can't do much in the way of gambling.
0: And this kind of brings up where we're at, sort of at this cultural tipping point of- of between the future and the inevitability of gambling versus the vestiges of yesteryear and sin taxes. And I know, give me a larger, a macro sense of North Carolina's struggle with progress in this way, in terms of opening things up for gambling, just even having lotteries available and things that weren't allowed to, because of religious conviction that would have kept gambling illegal because of social concerns. W- where are we at here? Was there any real pushback at this point in time from religious organizations, socially conservative organizations? Yes. Talk about that a little bit. Chris. Yeah,
1: there were. There was definitely some pushback from, uh, and uh, forgive me, the name of the organization, like the, I think the North Carolina Family Council or something like that. They were putting out press releases. They testified in some of the... Con- the House hearings and Senate hearings and that sort of thing. And their concerns, the way they um, expressed them, were more about the addiction issues, the predatory nature of gambling and that sort of thing, as opposed to purely religious. But these are socially conservative organizations. You can make your own conclusions about why they objected to it. So there was some of that, but it didn't seem to get much traction. As I said, there were plenty of Republican supporters of this bill, including some local representatives, and there were Democratic supporters, and there as well as there were Democratic opponents. So it was truly a bipartisan effort both ways.
0: That's interesting. And do you see this as some states, they're legalizing marijuana, some for just medical use and some for general use, and that other states beside Nevada and New Jersey are opening up casinos. Where is North Carolina at here? Is this part and parcel of a move toward just opening up this state toward legalized gambling writ large, where casinos will soon open? Do you see this as on that track?
1: We have already, of course, some casinos uh, in Cherokee. There's one, for instance, but those are the tribal lands. They're sovereign nations. Sovereign nations, yeah. yeah. And um, so there is some of that already. Whether there's going to be a push for real large-scale casinos, I I couldn't tell you. I don't know. But certainly, I think to get your greater point... It's like the syntax aspect of life in North Carolina has certainly changed a lot, even in my memory. The lottery is relatively recent. I forget exactly when the lottery came into place, but it's been within, what, the last 15 or 20 years. So we didn't have a lottery for many years. I lived in South Carolina when they first got a lottery, and I lived right on the border of Charlotte, and North Carolina didn't have one. So every Saturday, all the people would come to Charlotte to get their lotto tickets. I think that uh, that was a similar situation where they said, we're leaving money on the table because South Carolina's made it legal in terms of like what that means ultimately for marijuana and stuff, but I don't even want to venture a guess on that, but We've seen it with alcohol, where we had dry counties around here as recently as like the 70s and 80s. And now every little town in North Carolina has five breweries. There's certainly been a change generationally in attitudes towards what we traditionally would have called vice, I think. And we're certainly heading in that direction. And I wouldn't be shocked to see if attitudes about marijuana within the next 20 years change considerably, but I I don't know.
0: And so getting back to the the no boundaries element, because people can use apps from anywhere, you said they try to block North Carolina area codes from being... Right.
1: It can't. Like I said, if I got an app right now on my phone, it wouldn't let me do it. The, the app itself would limit me because really? North Carolina. But... There are ways, the people who know these things, there are ways of getting around that are fairly easy.
0: So this just knocks down those walls. You don't yeah. have to jump through hoops to do that.
1: Exactly. It's the same argument for a lot of things that I think were, it's illegal, but people are doing it anyway. So we might as well make it legal and regulate it and get the money from it.
0: Is there any sense of, or is there any projection about the money that will be now coming in to the state because of this?
1: There, there are some projections. I don't remember off the top of my head. Like I said, I know that they were projecting about three hundred thousand or so for these,
0: just for UNC Asheville, for these thirteen
1: for thirteen state universities, and so they have projections on what they think the whole thing's going to be. But I don't remember exactly what that the overall number was. But it's a lot. They're projecting a lot of revenue from this.
0: When does the changeover happen?
1: Like I said, there's the state lottery commission has until June of 2024 to get all this in place. But from what I've seen and heard, it'll probably be earlier than that. It'll probably be sometime maybe the beginning of next year that we'll have the apps will be available and some of these sports books will start opening and that sort of thing.
0: Is there anything about your reporting around this that we haven't talked about or anything looking forward that people should keep their eye on around this?
1: One of the things I did have a, a little sidebar in the story about one of the issues we've touched on a little bit, which is gambling addiction, because that's one of the things I was interested in, because I know it has become an issue. My son's in college. He, he's not a gambler, but a lot of his friends are. And he sees that that a lot of them spend a lot of money on these apps and that sort of thing. And and they're doing this in North Carolina before it was legal, by the way, so that tells you how easy this is for people who really want to get, want to figure out how to do it. But that was one of my concerns. And I talked to a a counselor here in Asheville who specializes in addictions, including gambling addiction. And he had actually dealt with that as a young person when he was in college, that he had become very, very addicted to gambling and had had caused some problems with his family and financially and that sort of thing. that's one of the things that does concern me personally. He's he his view on it was yes, it is a concern, but like we've talked about already, people are already doing it, so he doesn't necessarily feel like making it legal is going to necessarily change that. He thinks it was already a problem, and he thinks the people who are going, who are uh, prone to this sort of addiction were finding ways to do it anyway.
0: Is sports betting seen as particularly addictive compared to other forms of gambling?
1: I don't know that it is because he would uh, play poker and stuff, too. So he was doing gambling on sports betting, but he would also be doing other kinds of things. So I think it's all kind of part and parcel.
0: That's what I was wondering. That's why I asked about the casino thing because I don't know if they have that this in North Carolina, but off-track betting or right. racetrack betting, and you can go in there and bet on more than just the horse races. You right. can do It operates like a sports
1: book. Right. Yeah, I'm a sports guy. I'm not a gambling guy, which is part of what interested me about this. But I think for a lot of people, they experience sports through the gambling. Like I said, my son talks about to some of his friends. Like on a, a Sunday, they'll be watching the NFL games. It's all about how, what they've, games they bet on. It's all about the little the side bets they've done on the over and the under. And, and all this the stuff. fantasy
0: leagues; those are yeah, huge.
1: Fantasy is all part of this, and that's fueled a lot of it. Honestly, fantasy is a different kind of gambling, but it really is gambling. There, there were some aspects of fantasy that were allowed even before this. You couldn't bet on the outcome of a game, but betting on – so and so to get so many yards to help your fantasy team. I think that was allowed. I, I forget. I don't know all the details I, on that. But
0: the, the the irony is, you can bet on a UNC Asheville basketball player to score a certain number of points, but that basketball
1: player cannot bet on right. them exactly. themselves. And that's again, that's one of the things that it's and it's one of the reasons they ultimately ended up giving the money to the state universities. I talked to one state legislator who basically said. Yeah, that's you know this was, was a, essentially a way to sweeten the bill for people who might have objections. Okay, this, the college in your district is going to get some money this way. Yeah, it was
0: some of this you know the payouts around youth sports and uh, you know supplementing college athletics was this to mollify any objections?
1: One hundred percent, yes. I mean that yeah, all that stuff was put in there to give people. Something they can go back to their constituents and say, "Hey, look, UNC Asheville and Western Carolina are going to benefit from this. Your youth sports programs are going to benefit from this. The, our outdoor programs are going to benefit from this." I think it's all part part and parcel of any kind of legislation. You're going to start putting things in it to to get to get votes, and and that's ultimately one of the things that happened. And I think the college sports in particular, there were concerns about. You know, I think there were people who are like, "It's one thing if we're going to let people bet on the NFL and the NBA, but." If we're going to let them bet on college sports, that's a little—that's maybe a bridge too far. And this was a way to say that college sports is in there, but the programs are going to benefit from it as well.
0: Wow. So eventually, I wonder if they'll start opening up betting to high school and pop corner football.
1: I am not entirely sure that high school betting would not be allowed under this bill because there is a provision for amateur athletics, and I'm not sure how that works, to be honest.
0: Uh, Maybe YMCA City League (laughs) flag football uh, will fall into that. If
1: somebody's willing (laughs) to take the bet, you might be able to.
0: Our new First Look newsletter gives you just a handful of daily headlines from around the local media landscape to get you on your morning. We also have a weekly newsletter devoted to all things The Overlook that hits you every Friday. Both are free and available at podavl.com slash newsletter. And please support the show by going to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Podcast. I'd like to thank my guest today, Justin McGuire, a reporter with Mountain Express. Today's conversation happened inside the BB Theater in downtown Asheville, which owners Susan and Giles Collard have been so gracious enough to open to me to record my interviews. Our theme music for The Overlook, Maker's Song, comes courtesy of the Asheville band The Resonant Rogues. The Overlook is a production of Podcast Asheville. New episodes are available every Monday through Thursday morning. I'm Matt Pikin and I'll see you on the next episode of The Overlook.